I would invite you to uh, find Psalm 127 in your Bible, Psalm 127. When I had just started at Sailorville Church, well, it was Sailorville Baptist Church at the time, and I was uh, going out on a, a call with Kevin Thomas, our former um, counseling pastor. And we went on a hospital visit, and after visiting someone in the hospital, we got a text saying that someone in the church had just had a baby, and we should go visit and make a call on this new child that had just entered into the world. And I had never done that before, so I was glad that I was with Kevin, and I could go learn from him and uh, see, see the ropes on how to uh, welcome a new child into the world and how to minister to those parents that just had that baby. And we walked into the room, said hello, and Kevin eventually got to Psalm 127. And I watched him as he read this psalm very artfully and wonderfully, and I learned from him as he read this psalm of ascent of Solomon's. And he, re- he read this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. And he stopped and he said, you're going to have that a lot the next couple of days. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And God will give you sleep, he said. Behold, children are their heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. So I have been assigned uh, parenting. We'll be talking about parenting over the next couple of weeks, and I've been d- d- um, assigned zero birth through five years old. And if you're out there and you're thinking, I'm well beyond that, don't worry, there'll be some other nuggets for you. It's not going to be totally a waste of your time tonight, but it's always good. It's never a waste of time to hear God's word, that's for sure. Uh, So we are going to be looking at this, though. Why does the generosity slide behind me? And this was a question that I asked um, of those that were putting this together. Why are we talking about parenting and then we're talking about generosity? And looking at the subtitle, it makes sense. God owns everything. So I'll invest for eternity what he has given to me temporarily. God owns everything. Children belong to God. He entrusts them to us temporarily, although they live for eternity. And as parents, we are to equip them to love God and instruct him in his ways. If you're a parent out there, a desire to be a parent, what an opportunity that God has placed before you. What a responsibility that he has given to you or has put you in right now. And as you think about these younger years, even you think about changing a diaper and potty training, those are all part of an investment, of investing in someone who was young with the opportunity of providing them care to equip them to learn to love God and to serve him. If you look at the scripture, I think you can kind of narrow this down to what the goal is of parenting. And that is to teach children to love God and to serve him with their lives. We get that primarily from Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
where Moses, telling the people right before they are to enter the promised land, they've been wandering for 40 years, he says to them, Hear, O Israel. This is that familiar passage, maybe you're familiar with it, it's called the Shema, and the word means hear. And so he begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk upon the way. So the greatest thing that you can do as an individual, as a Christian, is to love God. That's the command that God has given to every single Christian, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then share that with other people. Now Moses would give them all kinds of rules and regulations after this. He would tell them all kinds of things of how they were to live and respond and act with each other and how, what rules they were to follow in the promised land. But then he would mention the overriding theme of this whole thing is that you love God in the midst of obeying all the rules, that you have a loving, loving relationship and growing love for God. He would mention it another 10 times. And so for parents... It's not that you don't give rules. You should, and the Bible says that we are to give rules. But our rules should be superseded by an overarching that we want kids to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And just as Moses gave rules in the context of a loving relationship, we are too to give rules in the context of love from parents. Ephesians 6, 4 tells us more about training children. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there you go again of instructing and showing kids what it means to love and to follow God with their lives. Now, this isn't just for parents. If you don't have children or you're just not to that stage of life yet, we can tend to think that's only the parent's job. But if you look at the the family context within Deuteronomy and all the scripture, it really is more, it goes beyond just mom and dad, but to the whole family unit, the whole aunts and uncles, the brothers and sisters, and even some that were beyond the family context. Moses here speaking to all Israel is saying, this is what your desire should be for all the children to grow up, to love God, and to serve them with their lives. There's nothing quite like being a dad. Being a dad is awesome. I I feel like I'm beyond a little bit of this stage of zero to five as I have a six-year-old and almost a nine-year-old, but yet I'm right in the middle of this stage as well as I still have a three-year-old. I'll introduce them to you if you're not familiar with it a little bit. Here's a little video of them. They're feeling the back-to-school vibes, doing a little dance, waiting for their bus to get on. That's uh, Augie. She's right in front there. She's still trying to figure out her moves. Her older sister's got him down, though, right behind her. You can see she's got kind of a little lanky body, able to kind of throw it out. And then there's our three-year-old in the back. She's not really know what's going on exactly. That's Jane. And she's just hanging out, clapping, and doing her own thing in the back. So... Those are our kids, and we love them dearly. And I feel like we're at this place where we can talk about everything that we've done wrong so far and impart that to you. 
and also give you some biblical wisdom along with the places that we screwed up, and then talk about a few things that are working well for us as well. But I remember the first time I took my daughter home in the car, and it was the first time from the hospital that we, we got her in there, and I remember looking back in that back seat and just thinking, she's not going anywhere. She's part of me now. This is my responsibility and the love that I felt for her in that moment. And over those next several years, I would start to truly understand relationship to God as father like I never had before. But then while also riding in that car, I had this thought, she's not going anywhere. (laughs) She's your responsibility now. And it's that overwhelming sense of, oh my, this is for real. But being a parent is such a blessing. Uh, it's the best times of when they're young and rocking them to sleep and singing them songs, hearing their very first words spoken, and then going to the very next tantrum in high V where you have to leave the store with them kicking and screaming, right? I mean, all of it is great. As verse chapter three, as this chapter in verse chapter three, if, excuse me, verse three says, children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a gift and a reward. God is not obligated to give anyone children. God isn't obligated to give any of us children. It's not something that we deserve. It's always a gift from God. And it's a blessing to us, to enhance us. It says the arrows in the quiver of a warrior are like one's children. The arrows in the quiver are an asset to the warrior, right? I mean, so often we talk about kids like the warrior's been given a, a bag of rocks to carry into battle, which is not a, an appropriate way to talk about children and not the way that Scripture portrays it, but they are a blessing and a true gift from God. The planned, the unplanned, the special needs, the easy, the hard, all children are a gift from God and are a blessing to us, not just the easy ones. Just because something is difficult doesn't mean that it's not a blessing. Did you catch that? Just because something is difficult doesn't mean that it's not a blessing. Children are a heritage from the Lord. But parenting can be trying at times, can't it? If it wasn't, we wouldn't be talking about it. Everyone would just go about it and and do whatever if it wasn't difficult. So I want to just give you tonight just some ideas of talking, first of all, about you your own heart, and your own motivation in parenting. Secondly, your marriage. And third, your kids. And I'm going to bring my wife up here. Uh, Moms are the real MVPs. True words from Kevin Durant. They're the real MVPs. And she's going to come up here, and uh, she's going to give us uh, some practical insight as well at the end here, which I'm looking forward to having her join me. But I want to talk to you, first of all, you, your own heart, and where your trust is. Now let's look at verses 1 and 2 of 127 again. This is a psalm of ascent, which means that wherever you were in Israel, you were always ascending up to Jerusalem. It was in the middle and it's up at the very top. And so you sang songs to one another. And this was one that was written by Solomon. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, it's kind of a random psalm to be singing to one another, isn't it? Singing about buildings and structures and these things of going up into Jerusalem. Well, the people were about to embark on, as they got closer to Jerusalem, one of the greatest structures of all time, Solomon's temple, which was the temple of all temples. And they're reminding each other that as you approach this and see it, don't think about the greatness of Solomon when you see this temple, but think about God. He's the one who ultimately made this temple happen. It's in contrast to the temple of, or to the Tower of Babel, where people sought out for their own greatness, but God wasn't in it. And what they built was chaos, and it was in vain because it wasn't God's plan. So did God build Solomon's temple? Yes, he did. But did he actually lay the foundations and the stones and everything else to his temple? No, he didn't. And so I think it's really easy for us to fall into two different ditches when it comes to parenting. And they are, one, I've got this or we've got this. And secondly, God's got it. God's got all of this. It's the second ditch that we can easily fall into. But let's talk about the, the we've got this ditch. Okay, so you're prepping to be a parent. You are a parent. You've read all the books. You've watched the Duggars. You've got the plan. Your house is totally crunchy. Um, you know, you are thinking, I'm going to be the most healthy mom and dad. People are going to ask me to be on their podcast and their <laughs> blogs about what a healthy person I am. And you're talking to other mothers who have had kids, and you ask, oh, did you have the baby naturally? And they're like, well, yeah, we got to Mercy at like 3 o'clock. And it's like, well, I thought you did it naturally. You went to the hospital, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, but you have this big plant now. I, and I'm not against that at all, okay? Um, I am for epidurals, though. I think they're awesome. Uh, <laughs> But you get this idea in your mind of, I've got it all under control. Uh, I can't do wrong on this. And then you actually have kids. And then you realize that that's not the case, right? But I think we can get into this ditch of, I'm going to be so concerned for my kids' health. And that's my number one priority. If I can have a handle on that, I can have a handle on anything. Does your desire for your kids' health match or is it less than the desire for your kids to know and love God and to serve him with their lives? Or then there's others who had this idea that I'm going to do everything differently than how my parents did it because they did it all wrong. I'm going to do the exact opposite. And that's your goal, and you're going to go out and set out to do that. And that's just your whole goal is I'm going to do it the right way and the exact opposite of how my parents did it. Or I'm working so hard on this that it's all on me. If I screw up in any way, I'm not going to be able to handle that guilt. And you go to bed at night and you're constantly worrying because you think parenting is all on you and what you're doing and you're so concerned about your kids and you're, you're wondering what's happening next and you're not getting any sleep at night. Now the problem is sometimes when you have a plan, sometimes it works. And then you get to the end of it and your, parent, your kids leave the house and you begin to think, well, 
my kids aren't like those other kids because we actually disciplined ours. I did never miss the sporting event. I was always there. And you can begin to think that I don't really need God's grace or his work in my parenting because I've got it all under control. And yet you bought into the culture's idea of what it means to raise kids and to go to the right school and to get the right job and to live in the right area. And yet your kids might be really nice citizens, but yet they don't know the Lord. Or they don't, uh, don't love him with their lives. Eugene Peterson says, parenting isn't sheer activity that all depends on me, nor is it pure passivity that all depends on God. So the second ditch is God's got all of this. I don't have a plan. My goal is just survival. So the goal is to appease them, to make sure they're happy, to put them on a screen or a tablet while I'm on mine. And I'm not going to really have any plan at all. I'm just going to try to, to coast through this thing until we can send them on their way. There were still builders that built the temple. There were still watchmen that watched over the city. They still followed a, bru- a blueprint. They did the work trusting God through the whole process. James McDonald's rightly says, God doesn't work while we sit in an easy chair. He works through our work. So here, the psalmist is encouraging us to to keep on working, but keep working, praying hard to God that God would change the hearts of your children, that he would save them. But keep going on that plan, giving your full effort and exhaustion to it while trusting God the whole time and knowing that God is the one that changes hearts and God is the one who saves Philippians 2, Paul tells us when it comes to growing in the Christian life, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He says again, when it comes to sharing the gospel, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. And a great proverb for us is Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle. That is that you've done everything that you can to equip your children, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So you're ready, you're prepared, just like a farmer is prepared with his crops, he's done everything he can, but he can't cause it to rain. God brings the victory and he works through our work. And he gives his beloved sleep as the psalmist tells us, trust God with your children and sleep in his sovereignty at night. Go to bed trusting that you have done what you can and God will work his will through his spirit in the lives of your kids in his time. This is particularly even difficult for the single moms and dads out there when the kids go away from you and you don't know what's going on or what they're hearing or, or what's happening The psalmist says that God gives rest to his beloved. Trust his sovereignty and sleep well, knowing that he is in control. And dads out there who are idle, who are leaving it all up to mom, be involved. Don't make your wife feel like a single mom if she has you. You know, and this isn't just, this isn't just, 
big things, it's the little things. When you come home from work at night and you step on the threshold of that door, stop and pray. Say, God, I'm tired after a long day. Help me to know that my wife is feeling the same way and I want to be engaged all in for my kids, giving all that I have for them. See, we will not be judged on how our kids turn out, but we'll be judged on our faithfulness. We will not be judged on how our kids turn out, but on our faithfulness. I don't remember who said that. I read it somewhere. Uh, but just know that that is true. I want to save the, the marriage part from my wife comes up here because uh, we can talk about that, that the marriage and your kids are interconnected. Your marriage is poor. Your relationship with your kids is going to be poor. and It affects everything. But I'll save that uh, for when she comes up here. And I just want to move into thinking about kids and raising kids in a biblical manner. Now, a lot of these things will come from the uh, Christian Counseling Conference that we had here and their association uh, that trained us. But I want to just give some of these to you. But first, you need to know who you're working with when it comes to children. Who are we working with? We are working with sinners. Psalm 58.3 says, From the womb, a child is sinful. Okay, so you need to know that from the beginning. Um, my second two kids, when I was still holding them in the hospital, I was praying the gospel over them at one point because I had to remind myself that this kid is not perfect, that they're going to break my heart. I didn't do it with the first one because I really wasn't sanctified enough. I'm, I'm glad for the second two, I've grown a lot. Uh, but I remember just telling them, you are a sinner. And Jesus came and died for you, and you need to accept him as your savior, and just proclaiming the gospel over them. Now, if you have a child, you know this, that they're a sinner, right? I mean, you've never had to teach them to throw a tantrum, right? Like, you didn't bring them in and go, no, 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 when do you get mad? Like, really stomp your feet a lot more than that, and talk back a few more times, right? It's, it's at their core of their being. It's who they are. Because of the fall of man, this is what they desire to do. That's why Proverbs 22, 15 puts it so well. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Whenever our three-year-old is acting out and just going crazy, my wife looks at me and goes, she's bound up in folly. So I know. <laughs> this is where a child is bound up in folly, in foolishness, and it must be driven out. Now, here's an important quote from Dr. Nicholas Ellen that I, was a good reminder for me and for you. Believers do not get punished. If you are in Christ, your punishment has been taken away by Jesus Christ and your faith in his death and resurrection. Your punishment has been removed. God disciplines his children, Hebrews chapter 12. We are disciplining our children in order to correct them. So we're not punishing our kids, but the Bible calls us to discipline them or to correct them. And it says to do so with the rod. That means to spank. I'm for spanking. Yeah, but it is a sense of, as the kid gets older, too, of to discipline them. Because you have to drive that folly out of them. Because the child doesn't grow out of sin. He grows up in it. So that folly must be driven out through discipline. Now, remember, it's discipline. It's not punishment. So if you're disciplining a child in anger because it makes you feel better, that you can get back at them. That's the incorrect way to, to punish a child. And I've been guilty of it. Some of the most tears that I've ever shed as a dad was when I spanked one of my children in anger. 
So we discipline because we love children and we want to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. So some might ask, what's the right time? When do I start disciplining my children? When they start resisting you, that's when you start to discipline them. When they start resisting you, they are ready to begin disciplining. And when we discipline our child, yes, behavior is where it starts, but we want to move to the heart. That's where we ultimately want to be. So one of the ways that we do that is because we want inside-out change is to hold our kids to a standard. The Bible is that standard that we hold them to. We don't need to add more standards. Kids have a hard enough time following the standards of the Bible. Let's not put more and more on them. But they need to be disciplined to show that they have fallen short of that standard of the Bible. So this is, you're you're putting the gospel into your parenting. There is a standard that we have as parents from God's word, and you fall short of it. Secondly, how you get to the heart is to remind them they could never keep that standard. Reminding them they could never keep that standard. When they fail and when they do great, this is one thing that we do with our kids, is often from time to time we go, could you ever keep all the rules? I mean, could you ever keep all of them perfectly? I say, no, no one could ever do that. And I said, well, what, what does that mean? What does Jesus need to do? And they say, Jesus has kept all the rules for me, and I need him as my savior. Now, not all of them in here have come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but they understand, ultimately, that's what the rules are pointing them to, that I have missed the standard, and I need Jesus. And so, if I want Jesus, my heart's desire is to love him and to then reach that standard because he's already reached it for me. And so he gives me his grace when I don't reach that standard. And I want to keep pursuing Jesus, knowing that he's going to love me and show me grace, just like my parents do, but will also give me discipline at the same time. And as you discipline, it's a great gospel opportunity, even though they don't want to hear it. And most kids, when you're spanking them, they could care less about the gospel in that moment, right? And can we stop saying this hurts me more than it hurts you, okay? That's so confusing to a child. Instead, tell them that sin hurts. It causes pain. And Jesus came to bring us peace. And so as a loving father, I'm disciplining you because I want you to experience peace that comes from God. And he had to give himself and experience great pain so that we could have forgiveness and experience the peace that he offers And then just lastly here, I just want just to think about modeling this for our students, for our kids, excuse me, I work with students, modeling this for our kids and letting them know that we as parents, mom and dad, often fall short of the standard that God has for us. When was the last time you repented in front of your kids? When was the last time that you brought them together, even if they were too young to even know what's going on and confessed that you had sinned? against them, against your, with your attitude, whatever that is. Your children, listen to this, they know that you are a sinner, but they need to hear you say it. They need to hear you admit it. So it's not just re- saying, I'm going to keep you accountable to this standard, but it's saying, mommy and daddy also fall short of this standard. 
We are sinners, and we want to model for you what that looks like. Now, I have not done that perfectly, but I'm striving to show my children that I need Jesus too every day, and I need his grace. And we want to shepherd kids to Jesus in this way. Even when they don't get it from zero to five years old, still talking about it and planting these seeds in their minds so when they think about it, you'll have a conversation like this. So about a couple months back, I'm sitting uh, with my daughter on the edge of her bed. It's after a Sunday night service. And we, I asked her, what was your favorite song from today? And she said to me, your grace is enough. I said, well, that's a great song. Do you want to sing that together? And she's like, okay. And she's got this little, like, children's CD next to her on the bed, and she has your grace is enough inside of it, so she gets the lyrics out, and we push play on this, and she's sitting on the edge of her bed, and we sing your grace is enough together. And then we talked about what's grace? What does that mean? Why do you need it? And then we prayed, and I, I, I went up to leave the room and start to walk out the door, and she said to me, hey, Dad. I said, yeah. She said, I'm glad that you're a pastor. Now, what did she mean in that moment? She wasn't saying, Dad, I'm glad that you give announcements on Sunday mornings. I'm glad that you work at the church. She said, I'm glad that you're a pastor because in that moment she felt like she was being shepherded. She felt like she was being pastored. And this is our desire as parents and what we've been called to is to be your kid's first pastor, to shepherd them, to help them to know and to love God trusting that God will bring them to himself in his time and teach them to serve him. Well, on behalf of moms everywhere and all that they do, let's welcome my wife to the stage. Now, come on up here, Mandy. Uh, my wife, we've been married, what, 12 years? We're coming up on our teenage years of marriage Uh, but I want to just, Mandy, just ask you a couple of questions by way of application. Uh, some of these things, I've talked about the heart. I didn't really talk about marriage much, but uh, marriage and then children. We, my wife actually sent out a Facebook post. Maybe you responded to it this week. Thank you for that. Like, what's the hardest part about parenting zero to five years old? And got a lot of responses back on that. But why don't you tell us, honey, first of all, um, how do you connect with God first in your own life, because that's important. Before you really start the day of parenting, how do you find a connection with God? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm still recovering from a cold. It's that's taking okay. seven years. Um, <laughs> the Lord has slowly, um, painfully, the last couple of years been reminding me and pressing the importance of rising before my children. Um, I don't know what your children are like when they wake up, but mine wake up starving and a lot of times angry or fighting about clothes that they haven't even put on yet. That's just so, our kids. No one it's else just has ours. Yeah. Well, good. Um, so I have started many, many days over the last eight years super cranky and ill-equipped. And what I mean by that is um, the word of the Lord hadn't spoken to my heart, and I had nothing to give them because I was just running on empty. So the last several years, I have been trying to wake up um, my goal is 30 to 40 minutes before they get up, um, and I just have a couple practical things to share with you that I do that has helped me to have success in getting that time with the Lord. 
and being in his word. Um, the first thing is to set an alarm. Otherwise, it's my three-year-old, and it's way too late in the morning to get anything done. Um, the second one is to have a plan. So the night before, I try to plan out um, if I'm going through a specific Bible study, um, if I have a devotional series that I'm working through, if it's scripture memory, I try to have it ready to go in the same spot so that I can come down in the morning and jump right in. Um, that way I'm not taking 15, 20 minutes trying to organize my life and then do it because then they're awake in the chaos. Um, so set an alarm, have a plan, and I mentioned picking my spot. I pretty much go to the same place every morning, and I have my whole little routine. Sometimes I turn on soft music. I always have coffee. Um, I keep the lights low. It's just something that I look forward to so much. It's my special time of the day seeking the Lord. Um, it's very precious to me, and it makes me long for it. In the days that I miss it, I miss it. So make it something um, that you look forward to and that you hunger for. Um, you can't go a day without it. Um, Can I just say then, too, I think this might surprise you, and we used to feel guilty about this, but Mandy and I actually don't do our devotions together. It just hasn't ever worked for us. And we had some guilt about that, but then I realized I didn't that, you didn't have guilt. I did. <laughs> um, but I realized that one of the best things that I can do for my wife is to, when the kids do wake up early, is to help her have the best quiet time that she can have by not getting ready myself, but to take the kids in the other room and to feed them breakfast and other things like that so that she can have uninterrupted time with the Lord. Yeah. And I think that um, this is one of those things that we can kind of heap judgment on. Um, so I'm not sitting here saying that you don't have a great relationship with the Lord if you're not up 40 minutes before your kids. But um, if you can, great. If you can't, there are also times you'll just have to think through your day. Is nap time an option? Do you have kids that still sleep that you can take that time, open up the Word of God, and let it minister to your heart? Um, gathering your kids mid-morning. I know a lot of you amazing homeschool moms are so good about pulling your kids in and having that 10 a.m. time in the Word, and I love that. My kids are in public education, and we love that. But um, that is something that I, I think would be an awesome thing to have. Um, another one, I have a working mom friend. She's a night nurse, and the only time that she sometimes can carve out is by taking her waterproof Bible in the shower, I kid you not. But she hungers for it, and she wants it, so she has found that to work for her. Um, and then even just last year, we attempted piano lessons and ballet at the same time for two of our kids. Um, so I ended yeah. up using their time in the van a lot while they were doing whatever they were doing and just getting that time. But all that to say, your time with the Lord has to be priority, or you are going to be trying to pour out of a bucket that has nothing to give to your husband, to your children, to the people that have to interact with you. You might be able to do it yeah. for a while, but you're going to come up dry. That's good. What about, um, so in the age of social media, there's, it'd be very easy to compare you to other people and their parenting, right? I mean, some moms basically live at the apple orchard, it looks like, from their posts. <laughs> um, <laughs> So how do you avoid the comparison game as a mom? Yeah, I definitely, I still struggle with this, so I don't have all the answers by any means, but um, there definitely is that temptation to compare what your parenting looks like with someone else. Um, I guess I just want to challenge you that the Lord put you with your spouse and your children on purpose. 
and to trust the Lord's plan for that, mm. um, ultimately knowing that it's the Lord that gets the glory. Um, I think we need to keep in mind that scripture, not culture, is who dictates what our parenting should look like. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the apple orchard as a joke, but <laughs> it's okay if you don't go to the apple orchard. Um, also, for comparison, just remembering that we are not the Holy Spirit. I don't have things to heap on you, and you can't heap things on me. If I'm living in sin, yes, please, but there's a difference between preferences and sin there. Yeah. Um, and just so maybe super practically, using the gifts that God has given you, not someone else, um, I enjoy trying to memorize scripture so that when those thoughts of comparison come in, I can remember, nope, this is where your value lies. It's not in what you do, but it's in who you are. Yeah. Um, super, super practical is learning to rejoice with those who do things better than you. Mm. I have got friends that bake cakes That's a tough one. and bread and make dolls and amazing things. They can just do all the things, and I am keeping people alive. I mean, that's it. That's it. We might get dinner. But learning to rejoice with them, that is a huge thing, knowing yeah. I don't have to do those things. The Amen. Lord did not gift me like that. Amen. But he has um, gifted you in many ways. So. Well, yeah. 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 Perhaps. So what about marriage? Yeah. What about marriage? Um, how do you... A lot of people said, I just don't have time with my spouse when people are early on in parenting. What would you say to that person that's struggling with feeling overwhelmed by all I'm with is with my kids all the time? Mm. What would you say to that? Step on some toes here. Brad and I feel very strongly that bedtimes for your kids are an absolute must. Um, without getting super legalistic about it, yeah. we decided early on. There's nothing on, in scripture that says that. Right. But, thou yeah. shalt. Not in there. Um, when we had our first child, Ava, she got to be about four months old, and I was just drained. It was 24-7, consistently, on the clock. Um, I was able to stay home with her. Brad was back to work, and I missed my husband. I had this baby all day long, this baby I wanted. Uh, waited all day long with her, yeah. and then it was all through the night most of the time, and we never got that time. Um, so we just sat down and decided, um, and kind of asked the Lord for wisdom, and it was decided that 7 p.m. was bedtime. And we were going to work so hard to train this little one to go to sleep and sleep. And granted, four-month-olds don't always obey those, but we did work hard, and we were consistent on our routine. Yeah. And that's become something that, even as she's nine now, and we've moved the bedtime eight. back a little bit. Is she eight? Yeah, oh, eight. Nine. Okay, almost nine. <laughs> The bedtime is moving back a little bit more. Yes. But there is that sacred moment yes. of knowing 7.30 is coming. It's coming, yeah. Right? And they know it, and they thrive. They thrive on a routine. Yeah. They might not always love it, but this, again, is where the Lord gives you that authority in their lives to say, no, mommy needs daddy. Daddy needs mommy. You need to go right. to bed. And that really does free us yeah. up. We're able to binge watch our show on Netflix. We well, can have a conversation. Pray together. Pray yeah. together. <laughs> Bible study for like three hours. My word. Um, <clears throat> so it does take work. It takes it work and it's hard and there will be fighting. But it is nice valuing to you. It's nice, too, that the kids are still kind of awake when we put them down. Because we can have conversations with them. We can talk about the day. They're not so exhausted that right. they're just not even ready to talk. And we're not angry. We're, we're not, not, yeah. <laughs> well. I mean, sometimes bedtime can be hard. It's not wonderful Always. every time. 
But uh, it's good for our marriage <laughs> yes. and for, and I think the kids see too, they, they need to see that dad values the relationship with his mom more than the kids, okay. which is, yes. which they, they, it's good for them to see that, yeah. that we need and value our marriage uh, more than them. And we want that we need to model that for them. So what about though, relational intimacy how does that play into our marriage? How does physical intimacy play into it? How is that important in a healthy marriage? What do you think? Yeah, sure. So when I was listing off all the things we enjoy doing, <laughs> one of them would be the physical intimacy aspect. Um, Brad and I were able to go to a conference a couple weeks ago and sit under the teaching of um, a couple we really admire, and it just drove home a point in our hearts that we had been kind of wrestling through, and that is... Um, See the sentence structure. The value and the importance of making time for physical intimacy with your spouse um, and the consequences therein if it's not there. Um, so something that we do enjoy doing is sexual intimacy together. It's so awkward to say yes, up front with is, the yeah. microphone. But it's a good spot to talk about it. It really church. is. Because so, it is all healthy marriage makes for a healthy family. And that's right. such an important part, not just the physical intimacy, but the relational intimacy at the same time, having all of those things uh, connected together, it's, it's healthy and it's important for us. And uh, we have a lot of fun um, in the midst of everything in marriage. We have a lot of fun. So I think I would just give a charge here. I'm super out of my whatevs. But um, I would just say that, ladies, you are your husband's um, only outlet if you are married to him. He can only seek that fulfillment in you. Mm -hmm. um, if you are continually turning him down, shaming him for asking for that um, physical intimacy, you are in sin and you need to repent mm -hmm. and make that right with your husband. Mm -hmm. God yeah. created you one flesh. And I think of the, the man's side too, of pursuing your wife relationally in the same way that you want physically. You know, just going and pursuing your wife with that. Um, but it's all, it's all re related because your marriage will trickle down into your children. And just the last question here, um, how do you, Mandy, shepherd our children to the gospel? Because it's really easy. I mean, all, we could have all of our kids saved right now if we just burnt one of their Barbies on fire and said, do you want this to happen to you, right? But how do you shepherd your kids, our kids, to really receiving Jesus? Yeah, I think um, right now we are just trying to do some semblance of some kind of devotional. We are at eight, six, and three, as Brad mentioned, so dinner is rarely peaceful. It's not this hallowed time of extended prayer and thanksgiving. It's, it's um, fighting. Sit down and eat, and we're going to talk to you about Jesus tonight. Let's do our catechism. But, um, Stop talking. Yes, yeah. it's time for catechism. Stop blinking. But um, just, a just a reminder to parents that you are doing kingdom work, and Amen. It's, Amen. it's in the mundane. It's in the diaper changes and the correcting them after a tantrum and drawing them back and reminding them of um, their standing before Christ if they don't know it and, it, and what it would be if they did. Um, and like Brad mentioned earlier, just asking for repentance. Nope. Asking for forgiveness, repenting to your children. And um, they might not always understand. I had to ask forgiveness for my three-year-old today, and she tried to pick my nose. So it's not like it's going to be this magical, beautiful, but they do need to hear it. And yeah. we're just trying little things. Um, we try something new. We try consistently doing things. And 
just looking for opportunities throughout the day. Amen. Children are a gift. They are a heritage from the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you for my wife. Thank you for that we have this marriage together and raise children. God, I pray for all that are out there that have children, have grandchildren, desire to have children and don't. God, I pray for them that their hearts would be loving you, that the goal for kids would be their goal for their own lives, to love and to serve you. God, I pray for those out there, especially the ones that we've talked about tonight, those young moms and dads. Encourage them, strengthen them, help them to have fun, enjoy their children, and to point them to you and to discipline and point them to you in the midst of that as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.